0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning, I'm supposed to stand here just for a minute until everyone notices my color coordinatedness, not the pants, nice cut. the purple and the blue, somebody told me this was Rocky's colors and I was thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. Because I went to the coffee shop this morning and this guy told me, you, the Rockies won two to nothing. And I thought, how do they get a safety in baseball? And I just couldn't, I couldn't figure that one out. And so he had to explain a couple of things. So obviously I, I don't really follow too much about baseball, but hip, hip, hooray, they won. That was my preaching to the calendar. My name is Chris Richards. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church. And, and while you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, a little extra about myself. I'm a mathematician at heart. And so I went to school for a, a long, 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 long time to learn how to add numbers together. When you talk to people about math, it's really not very cool to not know how to read. But if you ever notice in our society, it's really cool not to know how to do math. Just a thought. And I, thought I'd, I was feeling sad about that, so I thought I'd tell you. So second... No, that's not it. The, the text that we're going to cover today is a lot like algebra. Now, I taught algebra for a little while, and, and you go through and, and you teach the additive identity. It doesn't matter that you don't know what that is. Or all these other properties, and you ask the kids, so do you understand this? And they say, well, yes, Mr. Richards, I understand this. And so to test them, you throw out a little question where you, you make that additive identity fall into something that looks a little camouflaged. And they look at you like you've been possessed by a demon. And they say, that's not the additive identity. What they really want is, you know, some kind of a, a checkbox, some kind of a, a fill, in the, fill in the blank, that, or they can recite what it is to you because that's how they understood it. And, but they don't really understand it. And so if you take one of my students and you take me and you put us in the same room and say, do you understand that little algebra thing? The student would say yes. I would say yes. But it's not the same, yes. Right? Well, the text that we get to today, we can all quote it. We all know kind of what the topics are. But when this text gets camouflaged by worldview, camouflaged by how we perceive people and actions and problems, all of a sudden, it takes on this whole new look of, well... how How am I supposed to do that? And so we're going to dig through this and try and get a a deeper understanding of what it means. So our text is second Corinthians chapter two, verses five through 11. Let's read that. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test whether you would be obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Let's pray. Lord God, your word tells us where two or more gathered together, there you are. And Holy Spirit, we trust that you are here today, ready to take your word and do business with each one of us. God, without you being here, messages are just second-rate stump speeches. But God, with your power, your word can, can help us to abide in you, to know you, to desire you. Would you do that this morning, God? Would you speak through your word to us? In Jesus' name, amen. So, this text is rather simple. Something happened in the Corinthian church with someone, and there's a little, I don't know if it's actually conflict, but depending on who you read, some people simply assume that this is the man spoke about in 1 Corinthians 5. In 1 Corinthians 5, just a quick reminder, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, you all are proud, but you have an immorality amongst you that's even worse than that's outside in the world. A man has his father's wife. And you're proud? I've already passed judgment on this man. Get him out of the body so that that sin doesn't infiltrate, so everybody just doesn't have this lax view of sin, that, oh, well, I guess that's okay. Everybody thinks it's okay. Get him out of the body. Expel the immoral brother. And that's the last you hear of it. Well, since 2 Corinthians follows 1 Corinthians, then we have this natural assumption that, well, when he says, now we need to reinstate him, we're talking about this guy in 1 Corinthians. But as we talked about last week, there's a lot of things that happen between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right? We have the painful visit that occurred where somebody got up in Paul's face and all these false apostles were trying to degradate Paul's authority. And the body in the Corinthian church just kind of sat back and watched it happen. They didn't stand up for Paul. And Paul ended up leaving Corinth in a bad way but when he left he quickly wrote this letter a letter that we don't have but he sent the letter back to the Corinthian church with Titus and it's very possible that who he's talking about in 2 Corinthians are the people that were in his face during that painful visit and not the person in 1 Corinthians but in the end it doesn't matter because in First Corinthians, something had to happen with this brother that was in sin, and if in fact we have this painful letter where these things happened, and he wrote them. Now, the reason I kind of tend toward him talking about somebody not from First Corinthians five is because all of chapter two is talking about this letter that he wrote and why the pain, why he couldn't come, and why he couldn't come this second time. The things that we talked about last week. So. I'm, I'm a little more lenient or, or thinking that he's speaking about somebody that he interacted with during that painful visit. Okay, But in the end, it simply doesn't matter. There was sin in the body. The body didn't deal with it. And, and so he writes this letter to say, well, you, you need to deal with this sin in the body or, or else. So the text is simple. It's a simple matter of somebody got disciplined in the body and now they're telling him, Paul's telling them to restore this brother. Now we can pray and go home. Because we all understand that. Right? Sin in church is bad. My my brother's father-in-law is a preacher and everybody would always ask him, so what are you preaching on this week? And he'd always answer the same thing. I'm preaching on sin, I'm against it. Sin in the body is bad. It's a disease, and it needs to be dealt with. We would all accept that. But what does that actually look like in practice? Again, we understand. But what does that look like in practice? So I'm going to start at the bottom of this text. The bottom of this text says we need to forgive him because... We're not ignorant of the devil's schemes, and we don't want the devil to get a foothold. So what are the schemes that he's talking about here? And there's two. One, that the church does not take sin seriously. That's scheme number one. And secondly, if they do, we're good fundamentalists. We're not going to let any sin go by. I saw you go to a movie, Church Discipline. If, in fact, we take sin very seriously... The second side of that coin, the other scheme, is that when someone is repentant, we don't forgive. You see that? If the devil can't get you to kind of turn a blind eye to sin, he wants to get you to not forgive the sinner who sinned. He has you coming and going. So those are the two things that we're going to look at this morning. First, this issue of church discipline and restoration... And then forgiveness. So my first exposure to the idea of church discipline, and I'm just going to come clean for you here, because I'd never heard of church discipline the first couple of years I was a, a believer, and I'm an independent person. <clears throat> um, I proud myself on being a self-made man, and and I make my own decisions. That's why I live in Colorado. <clears throat> I moved to Colorado, and I go to this church, Mountain View, and right away I get plugged into this class called, uh, then it was called Men's Equippers. It's essentially our essentials class. And we get to this idea of, of church discipline, and I almost laughed the entire subject off the study guide. I thought, how arrogant. Wait, you wait. You're going to catch me in sin, and confront me about it and if I don't agree with you for some reason you're going to bring me up in front of the body and and then expel me from the... You're kidding. There's 300 churches in this town. I'll just find another place to go. You can't do that to me. I can't even believe you would put that on a piece of paper. Now, I I try to say that tongue-in-cheek but I know in the group this size there are a number of you that aren't far from thinking that way. We're all educated people. We do what we want to do when we want to do it. And if we get sideways with a couple of church people, we'll just go find us another one. They're all over the place. Now, if that is our view of church, we don't understand church. We don't understand what Jesus said Yes, I am the Christ, and I am going to build my church on that, and the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. I'm going to build my church and I'm going to give them a mission. And that mission is going to be go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach people to obey everything I have commanded you. I'm going to give them that commission. And until I come back, I'm going to be with them. And they are going to go and they are going to have power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. And that's what they're going to do day in and day out and day in and day out. They're going to be working on winning souls for the kingdom. Worshippers of God. John 4. This is what the Father desires. That's what the Father seeks. And that's what we're going after. We've been reading this book Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. and He has this this piece in there about having a wartime mentality. So let's think about this whole church discipline thing in a movie format of Iwo Jima. Some of you have seen Flags of My Fathers or Letters from Iwo Jima. So just imagine this. You're in basic training with this guy. He can run faster than everyone. He can leap buildings in a single bound. He shoots straighter than anyone. He is the ultimate soldier. You are so thankful that you're going to hit the beaches with him. Because he's your guy. He's your flank guy. He's got you covered. You're so excited about this. So when you go, you just know you're feeling safe because your brother, this soldier, is right here with you. And when you storm the beaches, he's going to be there. So you get off the boat. You get onto your amphibian craft. You go out. And you see him kicked back reading Sports Illustrated. Now, you look down and you're slightly concerned because you're about a minute and a half from a very life-threatening situation. And this guy is feeling pretty calm about it. But he doesn't get up. And you look down and you see his gun's not loaded. He's got his shoes off. He's got his toenails painted. (laughs) Think... All right, let's kind of cut the toenail thing. But you know that he is not ready to hit the beach. So what do you do? Well, you say, well, I guess I'll just do it by myself. And you just ignore him? <laughs> That's not what you do. You get in his face and you shake him and say, wake up! What happened to you? We're two minutes from getting shot at! And you're asleep! Put that stuff away. Get your boots on and get ready. Because if you're not covering me when I go up there, I'm dead meat. I'm sorry, ladies, I couldn't come up with a more feminine example, but that's just the picture that I had. See, if we understand that as Christians, as the church, the church has a mission. The church has a mission we are to go into the world as the light of Christ and to tell people and to gather believers, to glorify God. And if, if we're going into that and our brother's sitting back with his toenails painted we're looking at Sports Illustrated, he doesn't have our back. And so in a wartime mentality, there's no problems thinking through this. Of course you're going to get in his face. Of course you want him to straighten out, because if he doesn't, there's consequences. But is it possible that in the church today, we all have kind of a peacetime mentality? We're all sitting on the beach where we're supposed to be, sunning ourselves and enjoying a magazine. And so you look over, and your buddy's reading a magazine too. Well, he's supposed to be because we're chilling, We're enjoying the blessings of God. He's given us so much. (laughs) An extra turkey sandwich just might be fine. Now, not to say too much. I do enjoy the blessings of God. But God has called us to a mission. And when you understand that the health of the church is paramount to this mission you're a little fa- a little faster to get into someone's face in Matthew 18 Jesus actually puts this out for us the actual process you see a guy a lady they're in sin Jesus says first go to him and say brother brother sharpen up get your gun loaded Get ready. We got a mission. And you're so distracted by your sin. You spend so much time just consumed with ungodly things, whatever that sin is. And each one of you know what that sin is for you. But you're so consumed by it that you have no benefit to the church. If your brother's in sin, go to him quietly. Just thought I'd say that loudly so there was a contradiction in terms he said just go to him and tell him this and he said if he listens you've won your brother now grab the heart of Christ here why is Christ telling us to do this not because we want to expose him because he's a punk we're working on the health of the body if the body isn't strong the body can't march the body can't go off and do the mission that the body's called to do because the body's weak and feeble and it just can't make it. But if you go to your brother and he listens, you've won your brother. There's health that's coming back into the body. And then Jesus says, well, suppose he doesn't listen. All right. Time for intervention. Get a couple other godly, spiritual men. Or women, if this is a sister. And go to them and tell them, please, beg them. This sin is wreaking havoc in your life. You're about to lose your family. It's hurting the church. It's hurting everything. Don't you see it? Please repent. Come back. If they say, you know what? How dare you? Well, let's not assume that yet. Because where there's a number of people, there's fellowship. Right? When two or three people come to this brother or sister, you're coming to them with more than just you bringing their sin. You're coming to them in community. You're coming to them. The body of Christ is how God pours his grace on other believers. And so when you come around this person with two or three people, you're just shining Christ to them and saying... Be part of it. Don't run away. Your sin is dividing you from us. Your sin is pulling you out of the church where you're going to get destroyed by the lions. Peter tells us that the, the devil is crawling around like a roaring lion waiting. Waiting for somebody to just step out of the boundary a little bit. So he can snatch them up. And you're going to them and you're saying, you're being separated from us. Come back. Repent. And then Jesus says, if they don't, we have to take sin seriously. This whole time you're taking sin seriously. You love the brother enough to go one-on-one, face the rejection. We talked about that confrontation last week. They rejected you. You love him enough to get a couple of people and still quietly move toward them. But if they still will not repent, sin in a church is devastating. You don't have to look far to see how much secular society has filtered in to the way the church thinks. In fact, the reason this whole idea of church discipline and church restoration is so difficult to even talk about is we don't even have a framework in church to talk about this anymore. Because we all are quite independent. And we do know that there's a church on another corner. And how dare you? But those that understand that the church is here for our benefit and for us to grow. And God uses the church for us to interact and, and to grow and to equip one another. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. You want to get closer to God? Stay tightly connected to a church. And give that church the authority to watch over your soul. Now, I'm going to say that again because that's just not popular. Give the church authority to watch over your soul. Each one of us, as we interact and we call each other on things, we trust that the church has our best. In a marriage you will never reach the level of intimacy you desire with your spouse unless you put all your eggs in that basket. If at all times you're holding back just a little bit, just in case, then you'll never be able to grow to its fullness the same thing happens with God. And we're going to talk about intimacy here in a minute. But in the church, if we can't fully embrace God's design for our growth, if at all times we say, you know, I've watched too many of those TV preachers. I know what can happen. And so, you know, we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to interact and we're going to serve and we're going to do these things. But I've always got my eye on those people. And you can't ever just turn yourself over so that when a brother or a sister comes to you, you're not listening. So my first encounter, I've already shared what my first encounter was. It was not positive. I initially did not like the whole idea of church discipline at all. And God loves me. So over the years, I've never actually been to stage three. (laughs) But I've had lots of brothers come up to me. And I still remember them. I remember one coming up to me and saying, Chris, now, I I tend to be rather sarcastic. I have that gift of sarcasm like many of you have. It's not a spiritual gift, but I have it. And when I get uncomfortable, I start cracking jokes because I need things to get a little bit lighter because I'm feeling the pressure of some kind of, it's just too intense and it's getting serious and I got, I got to have that to stop. It's just too deep. And so I crack a joke. Now, when you're doing this nonstop in meetings and whatever, well, this brother came up to me and he said, quietly, off to the side, waited till I parted over. He came up to me and said, Your sarcasm has made you totally ineffective in ministry. And he's right. Now, I walked away from that, and it, it took me a, a couple of hours to internalize that all the way and think, wow. The brother is so right, and I am so disobedient to the word. The word says, "You're joking that doesn't fit. Stop that." And so I was corrected. Now I could have said, "How dare you! I can find another." No, I'm going to find another church, because at that point God had already tied me into this body so tightly that there was no leaving there was no leaving I get I get fed I get equipped I get loved I get everything from this body there was no just going and finding another one because somebody told me that they thought maybe I was being a little too sarcastic and I needed to change that so that was level that was that was easy really because it got worse a couple of years ago maybe I need a little framework here my wife and I switch off doing finances. She does them for a little while, then I do them for a little while. And when I took over the finances, I noticed things were out of order because at the end the number was red and not blue. Remember I'm a mathematician, I can figure this out very quickly. And I knew exactly how to turn it back to blue. Stop giving. It's a pain anyway. And so I stopped giving. I just didn't start. My wife was doing it. I just... Decided that was done with. I'll give time. And this went on for a long time. And at this church, pastors, your community group leaders, no one knows how much we give. That's all information that's kept aside. But it just happened that a dear brother of mine is the one who kept the books. And he was very concerned about this because there is no ambiguity in the scripture about giving none at all. You want to show your dependence on God. You want God to bless you with things far beyond money. God says if you're not obedient, the little things, you're not going to be obedient, the big things either. If you're not faithful in a little, you're not going to be faithful in much. And money really is a little thing. How can I trust you with the souls of men if I can't even trust you with ten bucks? And so this brother and another brother came to me and said, We're concerned about this. Your name's not even on the list. And they talked me through that. And I was a little obstinate, but I knew, I was in, I knew there was disobedience. No question. I can stand here and preach all day long about how important it is to win souls and how important it is the kingdom of God and all these things and yada, yada, yada. But you look at my checkbook and all I really care about is my gadgets. got a really cool computer. It's better than yours. (laughs) But when you look at my checkbook, it doesn't reflect my words. It reflected my heart just fine. And so I'd come full circle even though when I first heard about church discipline I laughed it off now this last issue was pretty serious and I had to make some serious changes because now I'm a habitual non-giver it was very difficult for me to change that I don't know how many of you budget but attempt throwing that into your budget overnight but I did but then I grabbed these brothers and I said watch the books if I slack you get on me Because I'm serious. I want to repent. I want to be in obedience with God. Thank you for bringing this up to me. Could I have just gone to another church where they don't know? I could have. Why did these brothers come to me? They came to me because I was in sin. They came to me because... When there's sin in the body, when there's disobedience in the body, the body is weak. When the body is taking more of the world's view on things than God's view on things, the body is weak. And if the body has a mission to do and the body is weak, it can't do it. And I don't mean the kind of weakness that makes us depend on God. I mean the kind of weakness that thinks we're strong and so we don't have to go and depend on God to do his mission. That sounded a little convoluted, but think through it. It'll work. Let's read 2 Timothy together. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Why did they do this? 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 24. Now Paul is talking to Timothy, a pastor. But we all can fit in here. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. As teachers... As we interact with one another, we have to take sin in the body seriously and bring it up. That's part one of the scheme. If the body takes more of the social worldview than God's worldview, we just let sin in and we don't think anything of it. Whatever, you're okay, I'm okay, let's just be okay together. And the body's weak. And we cannot accomplish the mission. Let's go to part two. Forgiveness and restoration. This is where Paul focuses all of his energy. If they take, and this is what they did, the Corinthian church took action. They saw that this this brother, this group of people were being divisive and they cut him off. They probably went to him, and they said, Brother, you can't be divisive like this. Paul has even told us, here's what's going on, and and we want to restore you. And he said, ah, whatever, and didn't listen. Brought him forward to the church and said, Look, this brother, treat him as a tax collector. And they excommunicated him. They sent him out of community. Why? Well, we see this in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, where he says, So that Satan can womp on his flesh so that his soul will be saved. So he goes out of community. He's no longer being treated like someone in the fellowship. So now everybody in the fellowship knows that's no longer a brother that we just sit and eat with. That is somebody we need to share the gospel with because he didn't get it. He is not one of us. That's why we sent him out. He came in, and because of all these things, it made it obvious that he was not a believer. He was not one of us. We sent him out now. Everybody, don't just invite him in and sit down and have meatloaf and talk about all the bad things in church. When you have him over for meatloaf, tell the man that Jesus wants to forgive him and bring him back in to the community of believers where you have all these friends and you can taste the Holy Spirit and see what the Holy Spirit's doing. That is why they got rid of this guy and it's exactly what the Corinthian church did. They were straight with him. He wouldn't repent. They sent him away. Now, When that happened, he didn't run over to the next church on the corner and whine to them, and they say, Oh, that bad church, I can't believe they did that to you. Because there's only one church. Now catch that for a minute, though. Because if that ever happens, if somebody comes to our body from another church, and that other church was trying to shepherd them through something, we're going to ask, Where would you come from? How are things with that body? And when you say, oh, oh, we're going to dig a little bit there. Because were they trying to shepherd you in something? And then we just accept you in and say, oh, I can't believe that bad church would do that to you. No, 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 no. The local church, as we shepherd that, you just can't go to the other, the, the next church in the, on the corner. So what happened was this guy went out. And Paul's telling him, okay, it's time to finish this. If he is consumed with excessive sorrow, that's not leading to repentance anymore. It's not fulfilling the purpose that you actually expelled him, sent him out. The purpose is that he's restored, that he's brought back into the fellowship, that he comes back to the vine and he's grafted in and he gets to just drink up of Christ and be part of the body. That's why we want him back. But when he comes back, don't anybody do this. I just can't look at him. I can't believe what he did to Paul. I just And Paul then says, no, 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 no. If you've forgiven him, I've already forgiven him. He downplays the whole thing just in case these people are thinking, what that guy did, he really offended Paul. And so that they don't think that, Paul downplays this all the way through the passage. Yeah, if there's anything to forgive, I've already forgiven him. Not to say too much. He really, he, he really, he really hurt you. He brought sorrow on you. He didn't bring sorrow on me. Well, he did bring sorrow on Paul. But Paul's making sure that they understand. There's, there's no battle lines. He's already forgiven the man. Bring him back. Forgive him. Now, when you look at the character of God... This might be the attribute of God that is most stunning to the church. We even sang a song about it this morning, and that is forgiveness. If any of you have been in churches where where the congregation debates about what they're going to do, and somebody will go around and get signatures for their side, and somebody will gather signatures, and they come in, they sit on opposite sides. And they land blast each other to figure out what color the pews are going to be. Now, I'm kind of making that trite. But there are other, you know, more important, how they're going to spend money, what ministries they're going to do. Everybody has a good idea. But if you're in a body that's doing that, things can get very personal. People end up hurting each other. What kind of music? Well, I don't like listening to that music. Or what... And so there's all of this tension and all of this unforgiveness in the body. And there is no action that more reflects God than when a believer forgives. If you think about exactly what God did, we read this in Ephesians 4, verses 32. It says, And this is one of those verses that just says it simply, but it's so hard to internalize. It says, just as God forgave you in Christ, forgive other people. We take that and we can quote it and our kids can quote it. But how did God forgive us? For us men, and maybe women are the same way, but I'll give you the man side of this. Some guy did something to our yard or we went to community group and some guy said something and I just got all fired up and I go home and I'm talking to my wife. I can't believe he did that. Well, next time he does it, I'm going to rip off one of his legs and the brother comes to the door. Ding dong. and says, man, I want you to forgive me. And I say, oh, dude, it is nothing. Now it's funny, but how many of you fall into that category of forgiveness? Right? We don't want to say that you actually heard my feelings really bad, and I was tormented for two days that you said that. "Oh, dude, it was nothing. Yeah, I forgive you. nothings to forgive. I just downplay it. I'm way too cool to have to forgive you. The problem with that view of forgiveness is you ingrain that deep enough into your soul. and when you read... God forgave you just like you forgive others. Now, that's not the way the verse goes. But that's what you start to see. Maybe God said, yeah, it's okay, but he's really up in heaven. Just ready to... Oh! And so next time something bad happens, you go, oh, he's doing it because I... Right, you start projecting what your definition of forgiveness is onto God instead of bringing what God means by forgiveness and transforming your mind by it. How God forgave was completely. He forgave actively. When it says, He cast your sin into the sea of forgetfulness and posted a no fishing sign, it doesn't say the no fishing sign, but into the sea of forget, It's not there anymore. And Christ has covered it. God doesn't see it. Your sin is gone. Forgiveness, when we forgive that brother, when we forgive that sister, we are actively saying we're not going to bring that up against them anymore. Never, never again. Now, I was kind of brought up with a silver spoon in my mouth compared to a number of people that I know and I don't want to make forgiveness trite because I know a number of people where someone's sin was so grievous to these people that it miswired them that they can't get up in the morning that they struggle with a level of depression that I will never understand because of someone else's sin. And the Bible tells them, just like it tells me, forgive that person that sinned against you just like God did. I forgive people for stepping on my toe, for cutting me off in traffic. I'm not going to keep that against them. But I don't struggle getting up in the morning because someone sinned against me so much that I can't trust people anymore. When we go throwing this word forgiveness around, remember that there are other people around us. That forgiveness is not just something you carry around in a little baggie and distribute out like you're throwing seed to the pigeons. Forgiveness for some people is very difficult. Just like what God is calling you to. There's things that God's calling you to that are very difficult that maybe someone else doesn't struggle with, but for you, it's hard. And forgiveness is one of those things for some people. I'm reading this book this week called Abiding in Christ. And believer, anyone in this area of forgiveness, Jesus tells us, you can do nothing apart from me. He knows perfectly well that you cannot forgive that person that has wrecked your life by yourself. It can't be done. Jesus says, I understand that. Abide in me. And he reminds you over and over again, I know you can do nothing outside of me. Abide in me because in me you can do all things. But first, these things were never meant to be acted upon apart from me. You were never meant to jump up in the morning without the Holy Spirit and go out and act like God. Never. You were meant to get up in the morning and bathe and abide in Christ and learn obedience over time and understand the goodness of God so that when He says forgive as I've forgiven you. You understand what that means and you can release that person as hard as it may be because you are abiding in Christ. If it's hard to forgive somebody today go to God and tell him, God I just can't do it. Every time this person comes to my mind I'm right back into the thick of this. I cannot forgive them actively. Get a sister, get a brother and say, not that you're whining about the person, but say, I'm struggling with this. Pray with me, pray for me. Be here with me. I need the body because I need to be abiding in Christ because I cannot do this. if you can't do it go to God he says he, he tells you you can't apart from me you can do nothing you can't look like me you can't be sanctified you were never meant to look like me apart from me you were meant to look like me because we're so close together that we're rubbing and And my color, my pigment is coming off on you because we're so close together. That's how sanctification is supposed to work. Not by just pulling up your bootstraps and saying, I'm going to forgive. Uh Abide in Christ. Restore the brother. Both confronting sin and forgiving sin are simple to quote but are much more difficult to put shoe leather on. Paul was very cautious with his words when he talks about forgiveness and the devil's schemes. Because if the devil can get his foothold in the church by people not thinking sin in its right context or not forgiving people when they do sin, He can destroy a body. And the last piece, the way you know, the way you know that you've got an understanding of this is when you sit in your meditation, whatever that looks like, and you say, God, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Can you show me the places in my life where I am not consistent with you? And God shows you that. And it shocks you a little bit. What do you do with that information? Some of us carry it around. But others of us say, that's a weakness. I need help. And you go and you gather the body and you say, brother, I struggle with this thing. Can you help me here? That's when you understand fully that sin weakens The mission. Sin weakens the body to fulfill the mission God's given it. Do you think the brother won't forgive you because you're a sinner? If he doesn't forgive you, then that's what he needs to take to the Lord. We need each other. We're tightly connected. Last week, that passage, that's what Paul was telling them over and over again. You and me were together. Unlike those apostles who came in and tried to separate you, uh uh-uh. uh. We're all connected. I depend on you. Without you, I have no joy. Without me, you have no joy. Equip one another. Let's pray. God, would you make us your body? Holy Spirit, would you teach us in such a way that. that our heart is purified so that we reach to glorify you. God, would you revive us and bring the joy of our salvation? And God, I pray for everybody here that you you would start to show us those places that are just hard to come in line with you. God, are we holding grudges against somebody in the body, weakening the body? Empower us to forgive. God, is there sin in our life in such a place that we just can't overcome it? And it's weakening the body even though people don't know? God, give us the strength to move towards somebody and take sin so seriously that we want all of it out of our lives as we come more like you. Help us to abide in you.